0: Live from the Great White North, this is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Pod. It's April 10th. I'm Braden Dennis, as always, joined by my co-host, Simon Belanger. Simon, how we doing? And let's jump right into it. Uh, the banks are potentially having to comply to some new stress test rules. What's going on here?
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, Hey, Brian, I'm doing well. Uh, So yeah, let's jump in. Uh, The stress test, just uh, to explain what it is from the bank. So that's when uh, people apply for a mortgage. So in order for the bank to approve you for the mortgage, they have to run a stress test. So the stress test is not only looking at if you can qualify for the mortgage with the current interest rates they actually um, do a test to see if the interest rates go up if you would qualify for that as well so the um, OSFI which is the office of the superintendent of financial institution in Canada I'm pretty sure that's a the full name there um, they're looking at increasing the stress test so making it a bit more difficult for people to pass that test because they're seeing uh, some signs of the housing markets uh, potentially overeating so that's uh, that's one of the things they're looking to do um, they would make it a bit more difficult and basically be a bit more conservative in the uh, lending practices for the bank. So it could affect the market. Um, I don't think it's been uh, fully announced whether it's going to go ahead. They're proposing it right now, but it's something to, to keep an eye on if you're looking to buy a new home or you're looking to, to refinance.
0: They got to do something. I mean, I can't speak for all of Canada, what the market's like, but in the big city centers, it is crazy hot. And if you make twenty dollars a year, they'll give you a million dollars on a mortgage. Like it is absolutely bonkers. Um, so I don't see this being a bad thing, but I don't think it's gonna slow the housing market down. It it is crazy. Vancouver and Toronto, especially. I, I don't know, but the rest of Canada, I'm really not sure. But it is hot, man. The cottage market, or like if you're a, a Westerner, like the cabin market as well, like a second home on the lake crazy prices i've seen on my lake lately so it's it's hot man
1: yeah it's the the same in ottawa ottawa had always been a fairly you know never been too much of uh a high growth market but it's definitely picked up in the past year I think the prices went up about 30% in the region uh, whether you're on, on the Ontario and even on the Quebec side here has gone up quite a bit as well um, I'm not sure if that will resolve the situation um, they may need to increase the minimum down requirement to potentially 10% to have some real effects but I think one of the other things that's really pushing the marking market up is that a lot of people are also investing in housing, whether it's single family home or multiplexes and so on, because they're they're seeing at a good as a good investment, um, especially with the increased risks and in inflation. So people are seeing that as a bit of a safe asset. But we'll see how it goes. It's probably one measure that will help, but it probably won't stop it until there's some more drastic measures or interest rates go
0: up. You bought a house in 2019, right? So congratulations, man. Yeah, Was yeah, it 2019?
1: It's... Uh yeah, end of 2019 and we took uh possession in uh January of of 2020. Um so no it's it's been a great investment for us, but it's not like we want to sell because what a, like right if we sell we're going to have to pay a high price anyway. So
0: Yeah, exactly. We don't need to go down the is your house an investment rabbit hole cuz we'd be here for ages. All right um let's move on to some other news my absolute number one celebrity crush of all time jessica alba has filed for (laughs) ipo with her consumer conscious cosmetics and home cleaning brand honest uh this woman is awesome she was an actress and then she was a mom and then started this this company called honest and it's like i guess it's like more like conscious uh organic and I guess they don't harm animals for like the makeup and stuff. So I know almost nothing about it other than Jessica Alba runs the joint and uh, she has filed for IPO with this, with this company. So good for her. It's called the Honest Co. All right, Simon, tell us about Coinbase because this is huge. Like this is massive and I don't know how well you know the business, but I have some questions for you. If you don't know the answers, that's fine. But th- this IPO is going to be bonkers. Like, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, yeah. The IPO is going to be uh, really big from what I've read. Um, so far, obviously, there's limited information. Uh, and let's just say it's actually not an IPO. It's uh, their public listing, it's actually a direct listing. So they're not. Issuing any new shares or an IPO, it's an initial public offering. So the company is actually, you know, putting new shares and getting some funds out of that. A direct les- listing, which I believe Spotify did as well when they went public, um, is they. They go public, but they don't issue new shares. Um, so usually that is an indication of a company that has a lot of funding available because they don't really need the money. Um, the whole point of IPOing is you get funds from the IPO, right? Um, so for them, just uh, an overview. So the ticker is pretty awesome. It will be Coin. So I tweeted that I I was surprised that it was already not taken. What <laughs> a good ticker, eh? Yeah, oh, I know it's <laughs> It's kind of very, very perfect. Someone tweeted to me another one that would have been good. I can't remember offhand, uh, but it is a good ticker. Um, their revenues have been phenomenal. Say so They released Q1 preliminary results. Um, they had revenues of $1.8 billion in the first quarter versus $190 million last year. So that's, that's really bonkers, like 10x. Um, obviously, it has something to do with crypto. Just seeing a real takeoff um, towards the end of 2020 and we're still seeing... It right now being at all time high for not only Bitcoin, Ethereum, but a lot of altcoins or I uh, coins I'll just say um, <laughs> <the> <laughs> net income between 730 million and 800 million. Again, they're preliminary results, so I think that's why they gave a kind of a bracket there. Uh, they had 43 million users in the Q1 versus 40. 40- Uh, 53 million versus 43 million at the end of last year so that's a pretty significant increase Uh, the monthly transaction more than doubled versus the end of 2020 not even q1 of 2020 Um, their direct listing will be this upcoming week uh, april 14 and um, the figures i've seen in terms of what it could achieve for market cap range from 60 billion in the more conservative estimates to uh, the more bullish ones that are 100 plus billion. So quite a phenomenal IPO. It'll be something really interesting to keep an eye on. Um, Personally, I won't buy any shares. Um, I'm not saying I will not ever. I will want to see a bit how it plays out, especially if the crypto market kind of cools down throughout the year and how that affects their results.
0: Yeah, good point. Because, I mean, you can't see the growth of transactions and the growth in the price of these coins Continuing on this trajectory, not to say that they won't, you know, continue to perform well, but I mean, things can't go up a 1000% every year. So um, yeah, good, good point. Okay, so question for you. And I've seen some discussions about this on on Twitter. And there's no right or wrong answer here. But um, by the way, follow me at Bredo Capital on Twitter. There's my there's my plug. Um, Why? Why Coinbase? I mean, they've they've established that they are the biggest player and maybe it has that brand equity that is associated with safety or security in a, in a market where you don't really even know what's going on. Like your money just guys kind of just goes into the abyss, but Coinbase, I mean, the user interface, the branding, it feels very safe. It's the biggest one. So maybe you have some assurance with that, but why, why Coinbase? Like this is not a, a high moat business, right? It's an exchange or it's like a a brokerage for buying crypto. And I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Clearly, they're doing something right. But do you have any takes on that? Like, is it a security thing? Is it a branding thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... It's definitely, uh, it's an interesting one. Obviously, you're investing in it because it's an exchange. People, I think, are investing or looking to invest in Coinbase because um, of crypto just taking off and it's, pretty much one of the closest things that you can invest on the stock market in terms of uh, pure play aside from uh, the etfs or some of the funds that are listed are specifically on bitcoin or ethereum so i think that's kind of the basis of it they do have a pretty strong um, portion of the market so i think they're saying on their platform the assets that they have is 223 billion that represents about 11 of crypto assets market share including about half a bit more than half of that is from institutions so you're you're really looking at an institutional play using I think their coinbase pro, uh, pro platform which is an enhanced kind of platform uh, a lot of it is used by institutions I, Wait, I don't, sorry to cut you off yeah
0: over half of the assets under management in Crypto on Coinbase is institutional buying.
1: Yeah, according to their uh, their Q1 results, is assets on the platform two hundred twenty three billion includes a hundred twenty two billion of assets on platform from institutions. So it's holy uh, shite. Yeah, it's a uh, that's it's, a lot. I, yeah, it seems like it is the go-to platform from uh, institutions. From what I've read, again, uh, these are all uh, preliminary results. It might change uh, going forward. But, yeah, it's uh, I think it's more of a first-mover kind of market leader uh, play right now who knows if they will remain the market leaders uh, for cryptocurrency but like i said it's i think it's an interesting play for people that may want to dip their toes into crypto without holding the actual assets you know on a cold storage or on an exchange or uh, investing in a in a bitcoin etf for example so i think that's probably uh, the case behind it i'm more of the view that i will wait and see especially with uh, all the hype right now surrounding crypto cryptocurrency i want to see if that goes down a bit how it will affect coinbase's results
0: that's wild stuff okay moving on uh something that i think we should just touch on more and more because as investors you know simon and i are constantly learning things constantly using new tools using new things we learn from books, we read metrics to look at qualitative things we like to see in businesses. So we're just going to talk about our process. And I'll kick us off here. And this is this is how I would define the process into what I would call an investable idea. So this list usually is about 30 businesses, some on the TSX, some on the American exchanges and, and, and global businesses. And how I start typically, this is, this is just what I like to do um, because I'm an engineer. I have, I'm a complete math nerd. So I usually start with like a quant strategy, like looking at the numbers. So I like screening for certain things that are common among great businesses uh, and then metrics I always look at. I put on a spreadsheet, and I rank them called, on what's called the SI score for, for Stratosphere members. And I look at all kinds of things and, and keep them updated, but these are the always I'm looking at on the spreadsheet for the for the members, which is revenue growth, free cash flow gro- growth, EBITDA growth, the market cap, the price to earnings, price to sales, price to free cash flow, Uh, The dividend, like what's the payout ratio, what's the yield, return on invested capital, return on equity, like those profitability metrics, gross margins, EBITDA margin, the current ratio, debt to equity, some balance sheet type metrics. Now, do you understand the business from knowing these numbers? No, absolutely not. You might not even know how they make a dollar, but for me, it's a good place to start because if a company is consistently like 10 year median producing like 25% year over year revenue growth, some that kind of sustained growth is very interesting to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about how, why that business is so great. Um, so then I go through some qualitative stuff. Now this requires doing some, some research on the business. You don't have to be an expert in the business to fill out this checklist, but you might have to know a little bit. Um, And again, this is the basis for investable ideas for me. Once I know, once I've come up with a number and and find it's an investable idea, the business is very interesting, the numbers look good, then I'm going to actually dig into the business more and more. But before that, some qualitative stuff. So when I'm looking at the moat, I want to see, you know, do they have switching costs? A.k.a. is it challenging for the value to be created uh, elsewhere? And is there high switching costs? So say, say you're a subscriber to Autodesk's platform and all your engineers know how to use AutoCAD you know, using another platform has high pain, like there's a lot of pain and switching costs to changing platforms, okay? So there's an example. Does it have scale? Like, can the business scale uh, their customer base like fairly easily without having to invest a lot into infrastructure? Um, and that's that's interesting to me. Does the business have network effects? Like the more people that use the goods and services that the business creates, does that actually add in a loop back to how good the service is? Those network effects. Does the business have recurring revenue, like fairly recurring revenue and cash flows? And not not every company has to have the typical recurring revs, but that stability is definitely nice. Uh, Does the company have pricing power? This is like, how can I stress this enough? Um, the, the business has to have some pricing power to ability to at least match inflation and hopefully more, um, and, and be able to flex that pricing power over time. That's always good. Uh, is the business bottleneck in nature? Like, is it difficult to replace them in the value chain and, re, uh, achieve the same result that, that can create a bottleneck and that's good. Um, the secular trend. You know, d- does the business have a good macro environment or is there a a theme behind it when I, mean, I think of like gaming like video games it's a secular trend that i want to be a part of because it, the growth trajectory is incredible um does the business have some capital lightness you know not every business has to be capital light it's, this favors you know the software businesses that have very low capital costs but if all else is equal a business that can achieve the same results without having to expend like have huge capital expenditures to build factories. I mean that's kind of ideal. Uh does the company have some organic growth? You know, I love roll roll up M&A strategies as much as the next person. Uh, if if the management team is good, like the constellation softwares of the world, they don't really have any organic growth, but that's okay in that business cuz they're really good at it, but it is better Overall, all else being equal, if the company has organic growth. Uh, and then some qualities. Can this business be easily understood? You know, if, if something, if something mad, like drastically changes in the business, and I don't know how to react. That's not, that's not going to be a good time. Uh, and then the management team is the, if, it, as if it's a founder led business, I love it. I love founder led businesses. The performance of founder led businesses speak for itself. Uh, company have some stable geography and some decent glassdoor ratings. So, you know, what's the company culture like? This all comes together roundabout way of coming up with a number for investable ideas for me. And then I start digging into the business, but that is my investable ideas in a nutshell. I know I just threw tons of information at you. Um, so maybe you'll just listen to it five times over pump our numbers up, right? Simon get the podcast analytics up. Um, but that's it in a nutshell. And uh, I hope you guys can use something from there.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, so I use a lot of the similar things. However, I kind of do it reverse from Brayden. Uh, so I'll usually look at a company. I'll want to get a better idea of like what the company is. If I really like what their products or services are, um, I'll have a look at how big they are. And then if, I can get a good sense of what they're doing. If it's interesting, if there's some growth into that, then I will dig in into the numbers. I'm not big on uh, screeners personally. I tend to get my ideas, whether it's on Twitter, from uh, you know people, whether it's tweeting at us or uh, people I follow, um, articles I read. Um, not to say that I never use screeners. Um, I I think they can be really useful, especially if you're looking to invest in smaller cap companies or micro caps, because you'll probably have trouble um, finding articles or finding people uh, or analysts reviewing those companies. So you'll most likely have to rely a bit more on screeners. Um, But then I'll I'll dig a bit more into the numbers. A lot of what Braden said, obviously, you want to look at revenue. I put a lot of importance as well on debt debt maturity of the company as that, how fast it's growing, how uh you know the the track record of the company and management as well, especially when like Braden said, when it comes to acquisitions, um, it can be acquisitions can be a great thing but it can also be really dangerous so there's a you can just google it and you'll see you can find like hundreds if not thousands of acquisitions that company either overpaid or thought there'd be efficiencies and they ended up never happening and ended up being a terrible acquisition overall uh, one that comes to mind is under armor a few years ago got into the um, i think the tracking fitness like the overall like uh, the future of fitness and that blew up in their face um so that's really something i like to keep an eye on um the moat like you said is really important um there's different types of modes i think we've talked about railroads before um, why they're so great in terms of modes because there's a big barrier to entry um there's very unlikely there's going to be new railroads uh, built across North America because of uh, how expensive they are to build, but also the rel- regulatory approval. Uh, but then Glassdoor, something else I look at, gross margin, uh, return on invested capital, free cash flow. Obviously, I talk about that a lot. Uh, dividend, the yield, if it has a yield, the payout ratio, Um so these are just some things. The last thing I'll definitely do, and I know I'm kind of intense on those, but I love to listen to uh, conference, the earning conference calls, especially the annual ones. However, it's possible, depending how recent the uh, company is on the public markets, you may not have access to several years of um, annual conference calls, so you may need to listen to a few uh, quarterly calls as well, but I want to see consistency from management when it comes to that, and when they make promises year over year, if they're actually, you know, keeping those promises, because it's not unusual to have management promise these wild things, and then they don't really come true. Um, So those are kind of uh, some of the main things I look at. Uh, One of the things I can't remember if you mentioned it, uh, but share count and dilution is something that's really important to Mm me. And yeah. And executive compensation. I think you might've mentioned that, but I think that's uh, important as well. But, uh, yeah, share count and dilution tends to be, I find, uh, overlooked by a lot of people and it's something you definitely have to keep in mind of because, you know, more shares there are, the smaller your ownership of the company is, um, you know, it can be fine depending if it's reasonable versus, you know, the growth of the company. Um, but definitely something to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah. A lot of, a lot of great points there. And, there's two examples of, we kind of arrive at the same place, but we started at two different sides, you know, like I, I'm starting with the, the numbers and you're starting with the qualitative and we kind of meet in the middle, right? And that's an important takeaway because there's not one way to do investing. There's, not, there's lots of ways to do pretty much everything. This goes for not just investing, but you, you know, do what works for you. Um, as a numbers person, that's what works for me. Look at Simon's track record on some of the businesses he's found, and I mean, maybe maybe I should start on the other side. Uh, but again, that's that's what uh, what makes this this fun is no one is really telling you what you have to do. Um, yeah, and that's exactly. why we manage our own portfolios and from the first place <laughs> mm-hmm. we have that control over it. Um, okay, yeah, lots of lots of good takeaways there. Simon, uh, it's been a crazy t- trailing fourteen months in the stock market, and we have seen the rise of the Special Purpose Acquisition Co. The SPAC. Can you talk to uh, us and and me about SPACs? Because I'm still I still don't get it, man. Like I, obviously I get it, but I don't understand why they're doing this as much as I probably should. So. Tell us about SPACs.
1: Okay, so SPACs, it's probably a word that you've heard a lot. Like you just mentioned the past year, they've been uh, really popular. Um, so like Braden said, it's a special purpose acquisition company. Really, these companies... Um, so the easiest way to understand them is these company are created for the sole purpose of acquiring another company. So when they IPO, uh, they typically IPO at $10 a share. And what happens is there is a sponsor will be an institutional grade investor who will uh, basically tell to people, I'll IPO. And my purpose is to find a company to merge with. Um, the investor buy into the company, Uh, the money is put in a trust and then that money is kept until there's an acquisition target that's found. There's typically a time limit of about two years. If the acquisition, if there's no acquisition found after that time limit, there's usually two things that will happen. One, the investor get their capitals back or second um, there may be a vote for a shareholder to extend that time period Um, the incentive to find an acquisition can be quite high for the uh, sponsor and does not necessarily assign uh, align with investors in the actual SPAC because they do get a pretty big return in terms of shares I don't have the exact numbers that they typically get but I think it's close to like 20 percent of the company for a much smaller investment Um, so their their incentive to find a Merger, whether it's good or not um, can be a bit of an issue, uh, but people will typically invest in SPACs because they'll either believe in the sponsor that has a really good track record of finding businesses to uh, to invest in. Uh, again, People may invest in those with the idea that a certain sector is on fire, so they are pretty excited about that. The problem is, there's a lot of speculation, and if you see the SPAC trading at more than $10, it It means that it's probably overvalued, at least in terms of its net assets, because people are really excited about the potential prospect of the new business, even if there's no business to be purchased just yet. Um, So that's why they're a bit tricky. Why would a company want to uh, go public via SPAC? Um, versus either an IPO or a direct listing. Well, the SPAC is probably a better alternative to an IPO if a company is looking to uh, go public and wanting to get funds because... um, The big advantage of it is they would not issue an S1, they would actually issue an S4 because the S1 is for a new IPO and the SPAC has already gone IPO, that's why their shares are trading $10 a share. The S4 is actually when there is a SPAC, so when the merger actually happens, so the shell company purchases the uh, the private company and then they become one uh, so they have to file an s4 which in terms of regulatory requirements is much lesser than an s1 so that's why some companies will prefer to do that and then when the SPAC actually happens so all that investment money the ten dollars share that a shareholder invested in this uh, in this ghost company if you'd like or this shell company then that goes to the uh, purchasing company the private company so it's another way for them to get funding uh, other than the classic IPO process. Um, There's been a lot of SPACs right now. There's over 400 of them that are looking for acquisition targets. So that's a very, that's an indication that uh, there might be a bit of a bubble there. I know there's some of them that were trading at like $60 versus original price of 10 dollars without having an actual acquisition target so 6x the actual value so right there that's also a, a warning sign um, in terms of examples of some well-known SPACs uh, that happened in the last uh, couple of years so virgin galactic is one of them DraftKings, uh open door nicola and we all know what happened with Nikola. so you have to be careful with SPACs, especially because there is less regulatory scrutiny with the S4 when they do go public. So there's an increased chance that you may be dealing with a company that might not be that great, or there might be some, you know, some red flags behind it. But um, that's, that's kind of the, you know, breakdown of a SPAC. I know it can be a little bit bit complex, but it's basically another way to go public uh, with less regulatory scrutiny. But if you're investing in the actual SPAC before it merges with another company, just be aware that you're essentially investing in a company that has no operation whatsoever no revenue no money coming in your money is basically you know you're buying a share that money is held in a trust until they do find an acquisition and if they don't find an acquisition you get that money back plus interest Uh, but again they could find an acquisitions that's complete uh dog poo if you'd like so you have to keep you have to keep in in mind um i would not invest in that because you're really gambling and you're putting a lot of faith on the uh the sponsor of the actual back.
0: it speaks to a lot of the speculation out in the market in the last yeah yeah exactly 14 months and although on paper it seems like a fairly good idea I mean, if you go file with an S1 for IPO, it's expensive, costs a lot of money, there's investment banks involved, there's a lot of regulatory scrutiny, you know, you got to pump out these massive reports. It's expensive, time consuming, a little bit complex, confusing. So I mean, the the appeal is there for like these direct listings and SPACs um but again with with it there has been a lot of frothiness on on this and uh it speaks to what has been the kind of feel on in the
1: market in the last 16 months which is a lot of speculation a lot of speculation and there's uh one last thing i just thought about even though um there they seem to be uh almost a bit in a bubble territory right now. And I know like even the past couple of weeks, things have slowed down a little bit for SPACs. Uh, But like I mentioned, if you see a SPAC trading for $60 when it was initially you know, the share, the actual value is $10 a share. Well, if there's a big correction in it and you start seeing SPACs trading at half the value and they have a good sponsor, let's say they're trading at $5 when the net asset value, the NAV is actually $10 per share then there might be some opportunity for people for that kind of arbitrage between the two. I'm not saying it will happen, but that's kind of the other side of the coin that uh, there could be some, you know, some opportunities there, but you have to be really careful about it.
0: Yeah, you got to really know what you're doing because there could be some fat arbitrage, but you you could also be out of the loop on something and that would not be so fun.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, you know what's easier than anything like that is buying good companies and then pretty much doing nothing. And that's, that's what I do. That's what you do. And, uh, it's a good time. All right. Before we sign off, can we just have a quick moment to dunk on our favorite pump and dump on the TSX venture? Face drive is down 69. Nice. Percent since, uh, we, we talked about it and, uh, now it trades for eighteen forty eight, so it only has about eighteen forty seven to go uh, to the the one cent that it's worth. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have not yet given us five stars and left us a rating, I get all t- kinds of email on the Stratosphere Forum. I get all kinds of thank you guys so much for what you do. We appreciate those emails, but you know what? You can really do to help the pod and help more people see it. Is give it uh, give it a rating and write it write a little, you know, two sentence, three sentence, whatever you want uh, review on on the podcast platform you're listening to. And If you're on Spotify, you can go to the top and press follow there on, on your podcast player there. And it really helps us grow the podcast. more people can see it, uh, more people can listen. And ultimately, a lot of people benefit from that. So thank you so much for all uh, for listening. We appreciate you all. Google is five stars. We will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.